Hey everyone, welcome back to part two of the Chop Shop Reports Egypt special. As you remember from last time, we were getting into the causes of the 2011 Egyptian Revolution and recent developments since that time. If you enjoy this original reporting, are interested in access to bonus materials, our Discord server, and more, toss in a fiver at our Patreon at patreon.com slash chopshopeconomics. Thank you, and enjoy part two of our Egypt special. Okay, so from the green, on a scale of like from the Communist Party of America to the Green Party, how relevant were they? I'd say closer to the Green Party. Like the some people like them. Uh, they ran in like some local elections back when those were a thing. <laughs> but, yes. Yeah. So. Uh, the emergency law uh, in 1997 basically allows this, the government to do the fuck it wants. Like, they don't have to issue budgets. Uh, they don't have to provide trial. Oh. And the judiciary here has always been fiercely oh. independent, like going back to the days of the monarchy. I'm, so they I'm weren't very really happy with this. So they started jailing judges. You know, why not? Uh, this also allows him to start court-martialing soldiers which further makes the, the gap between the army and the police widen, because now you have cops jailing soldiers, which uh, is not great. You know, in any other place they call this a civil war. <laughs> Getting there. So everything's pretty miserable, the economy's decaying, like it, it's growing, but only in that things are getting financialized, right? Like entire sectors are being privatized, so there's an illusion of growth. The GDP, okay, you know, so what, what you're telling me is that like all of the furniture is getting sold and the and the nails are getting torn out of the house, but the the stock market, I mean Walmart, uh, Wall Street, I mean um the Egyptian economy keeps going up. Is that what you're telling me? Yes, number very happy. Um, also, he gets the oligarchs so, to list their companies on the stock market, so that makes number extremely happy. So what you're telling me is that Mubarak snorted the the dust of the free market fairy. Yes, which uh, then became a bit of a problem. Uh, you see, another thing that happened in 1992 was the Cairo earthquake, where about a fifth of the city just collapsed. Mostly slums that were built up around Sadat's time. So that leads to stronger building codes, which aren't applied. <laughs> Because mm, like by this point, like by the 90s, the government does not exist functionally. Like it, it somewhat exists within Cairo, but not really. Uh, to give you an idea, the ring road around Cairo was planned under Nasser uh, in 1970, but that never happened because he died. Uh, the actual plan was made in 1986. They broke ground in 1990. <laughs> It was finished in 2006. 
Like this, this is the stage of decay. Uh, there's actually a building near me that's very emblematic of this, because it was built under Nasser, but then had to be repainted and remodeled under Mubarak, and that took 25 years. So, <laughs> it, it was bad. Um, so among all this decay and the emergency law and all this, things get really tense, right? So in 2002, the government changes license plates, but does it in the most dickish way they could think of. So they announce new license plates nationwide, and they announce that driving with old license plates is now illegal, and parking with them is illegal, so they fine people when they come to get new license plates. Uh, yeah, they, they don't know what subtlety is. So this leads to riots, which leads to a bunch of governorates. Uh, their governors just say, fuck this, no new license plates, go away. Uh, which persists until, like, 2017. Like, <laughs> the new license plates were just a Cairo thing and Alexandria thing for a while. Uh, so that, that was the first taste of, like, we can do, we can actually protest now. The police won't always just eat everyone. Mm -hmm. uh, that's followed by a bunch of strikes at the ports, mainly because there are a lot of imports coming in for the rich, you know, for for the oligarchs and the oligarch adjacents. And that didn't sit well. And by this point, there was a new union for everyone, the Egyptian Trade Union Federation, which sort of acted like as a mock ASU. They weren't incredible, like they weren't very good at labor militancy for a while, but then when the Port uh dock workers went on strike, they called for a general strike at all the docks. This was around 2003, 4, or 5. This then led to a stock market collapse in 2005, to which Mubarak said, wait, but we rigged number, how can number go down? So a bunch of oligarchs start leaving, a bunch of oligarchs commit suicide, and they have to take an IMF loan. So now debt is going up, and up, and up, and the currency keeps devaluing further and further and further, and you can guess where this is going, more riots! So then, uh, there's a really big riot at the big cotton factory in Mahal al-Kubra, uh, which is like a, a city that just has like a full supply chain for cotton. Um, that riot gets squashed. Like the the central security forces, which are the riot police, just massacre pretty much everyone that they can't arrest. That leads to a student movement called Kifaya, which just means enough. This was around 2006 and 2008. Like this happened twice. The second time it happened, Kifaya got completely annihilated which led to the 6th of April youth movement. They were made up of some people from Cafe who mm -hmm. survived, like we weren't jailed yet, <laughs> emphasis on the yet, and also a new crop of students from private universities. So this is where you get, like, liberal opposition. Before, all the opposition to Mubarak was either Islamist or uh, socialist. So then, the uh, the socialist kind of... Get get back into the uh, in, into the political sphere. Like they they start working more with unions. They start instigating strikes. 
which means now they have to be arrested. <laughs> which uh, gives them a bit more legitimacy on the street. You know, they're, they're cool enough to be arrested now. Cool, nice. So the riots keep escalating and escalating and escalating until in 2011 a guy burns himself in Tunisia. But that's not actually what caused it. That's a liberal myth. What happened is on January 25th, 2011, for police day, the government made two announcements. One, there will be elections with an opposition candidate, like there were in 2008, where the opposition candidate was a guy who turned out to be a brotherhood guy who was also paid off and who voted for Mubarak, and then got imprisoned. Oh my god. <laughs> but this time, it will be Mubarak against his son. The other announcement was food subsidies are now removed. So... <laughs> Uh, people start protesting, and especially because it's police day, fuck the police, a cab. So they start protesting, and the first people in are the Communist Party and the Black Bloc. Soon right after them are the ultras of uh, the two largest soccer teams, Ahnian Zamatic and Cairo. Now the reason Ahnian Zamatic are, are important is because almost everyone is a, is a fan of either one of them. And ultras Ahlawi and ultras White Knights, very unfortunate name, are essentially arms of the April 6th Youth Movement. So all these groups come together in, in the mm-hmm. square and they start chanting, uh, the people demand prices go down. So that goes nowhere. Right? A day in, they get some tents, they hold up at the local KFC, which critical support, the KFC gave them Pepsi. It's very important. So <laughs> they actually fed them, though, like, critical support. That KFC has had its windows shattered so many times. <laughs> um, so then, a few days in, January 28th, uh, the police show up, and the Central Security Forces bring in 3 million officers because they just get all the police officers nationwide to come to Cairo because it's getting out of hand. Uh, by this point, like, it, it's not like the revolution has begun. Like, people still doubt it, because it's just, uh, riot number 85259. <laughs> um, and at this point it has, like, well, maybe a quarter of a million people. Yeah. Like, it's not huge. Yeah, a quarter of a million people, that's like, that's like barely an amount of people. Like... <laughs> I mean, by this point, the population's like 81 million, and Tahrir Square is pretty big, so it doesn't look like an, an amazing number of people. But then the police show up, and they start shooting live rounds, to which people say, yeah, fuck that. So more people start pouring into the square. This is when you get Islamists, when you get uh, fence-sitting socialists, when you get liberals showing up. So it just becomes like a sort of like revolution for all. And then they change their slogan from the people demand prices go down to the people demand the regime steps down. And up until this point, that mm-hmm. wasn't a demand, right? That wasn't even on the horizon. Like even, even the port strikes were just like prices down now, not government leave. <laughs> uh, especially because like the key tenet of Mubarak's rule was technocracy, right? Like there is no. Yes ideology. This is the end of history. This, the government so is eternal. Uh, so that, you know, that rocks the boat significantly. So they send more cops, uh, and they send APCs in. And then around the uh, the 30th, 
they give up and work says, okay, fine, I'll just send the army in. And he sends the army in and tells them to just, you know, uh, the, the exact words he used were, how about you just use them as tarmac for the square? Uh, so the army went in, they scrambled the fighters with bomb bays loaded, and fighter jets fly above and drop balloons. Uh, at this point, the police were like, what? What? So then tanks stream in, and they face the protesters, and they turn to face the police. Uh, Tontawi, what the fuck is going on? Oh shit. Tontawi, we had a deal. Uh, to which the Supreme Council of Armed Forces says, ah, well, our mandate says we are with the people. Uh, what they actually mean is they told the conscripts to shoot, and they said no. Because unlike when you have a professional army... If you have a conscript army and the guy is like going to be a civilian in 18 months tops, he, he doesn't have a reason to shoot people. Because he's going to be one of them soon. Uh, plus, like, you know, a lot of them, like, these are their friends, family, neighbors, etc. So this is a bit of a problem, and Mubarak starts looking toward the West, saying, hey, help. Uh, to which the West says, no, no, let's see how this plays out. Uh, and then they start funding the Brotherhood even more. And the Brotherhood are already pretty popular because they have mutual aid networks which help people get through this, especially in rural areas, as the state essentially abandons everything. Uh, then come problems. This is when I come into the picture, like around the 30th. Um, because there's no police anymore, the army just rolls up to buildings and is like, here's some weapons, you are now militias, have fun. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the, the era of citizen militias lasted, like, two years. So, the revolution itself didn't actually last that long. It was only, like, 18 days. But on February 2nd, the next big escalation happens. A bunch of camels... <laughs> it's the best start to any, any sentence. A bunch of camels stream in. The riders have, like, scimitars and they start mowing people down in, in the square. This leads the army to fire back. Uh, the citizen militias start like hacking people down with machetes and shit, and it, shit goes down real hard. This leads the Prime Minister, Ahmad Nazif, who... Another fun fact, I have a lot of these, was briefly president while Mubarak was getting surgery, so there's an alternate timeline for you. Uh... He steps down, and he's like, oh, fuck this, I'm, I'm moving to Germany, goodbye. Uh, so then Mubarak is like, okay, I'm just going to place Ahmed Shafi, who's like the head of Egypt there, like, touristy guy. He's ex-army, he was from the chair force, and he places him as prime minister. He has an interview, I urge you to look it up even if you don't understand Arabic, because he was very clearly drunk throughout the entire interview. <laughs> And oh at one point God. he responds to Honestly, a like, saying, like, that's what's the plan right there. With, huh? <laughs> yeah, did, he responds to a question of, like, what, what will the state do about the revolution with, huh? <laughs> Which is even better because in Arabic that manifests as, like, eh? <laughs> so, like, needless to say, Shafi is just not prepared for any of this shit, and he doesn't have time for this shit, and he, he doesn't care. Uh, so the police just keep doing business as usual, and at this point the presidency's like, okay, start burning the documents. So they start burning the documents, and on February 11th, 
Uh, Mubarak assigns a, or sorry, February 10th, Mubarak signs a VP. Omar Suleiman, the head of the SS. Which is essentially saying, hey, if you kill me, there's a worse guy waiting. Uh, so on February 11th, uh, Mubarak's, uh, uh, Mubarak's VP, Omar Suleiman, comes on TV and says, uh, Mubarak has decided to step down and leave the uh, Supreme Council of Armed Forces in charge. Uh, as someone who was just coming back from a patrol at this point, everyone was like, what? That's a thing? It's a thing he can do? Okay. So then Tontowi, the, the head of the Supreme Council, is like, so as a president, uh, 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 a new constitution time. So they repeal the constitution of 1971 and place the constitution of 2011, which is a whopping one page. <laughs> but that one page includes a very important measure. Christians can now come back into the government and also elections. And that was one article. They had two separate articles mm-hmm. for how the flag should ha- should be in terms of ratio and what colors it has. But Christians back in government and elections, one article. It was a work of art. So, um, so a year passes and uh, no elections and no Christians in government. So by the media, um, by the Ministry of Information's um, media complex. A bunch of Coptic people, Coptic Christians, start protesting, saying, hey, you promised us change. And then a bunch of socialists join in and say, hey, yeah, you promised us change, what the fuck? So the Supreme Council of Armed Forces orders the army to shoot them. So a bunch of APCs stream in, they start shooting, they start running people over, and, you know, 200-ish people die. This ignites somewhat of a civil war, and tanks start shooting each other in the streets. So the Supreme Council of Armed Forces goes, okay, great, we're doing elections next month. Uh, and they, they, they try to scrub their hands of ever being in power. Uh, just before they leave, though, uh, there's a bit of a... You know, I mentioned that there's a lot of controversial shit that happens. So 2012, February 2012, there's a major football match between Ahli and Mosri. Mosri are like the... They're the biggest team in the canal zone, right? They're in Port Said. And Ali are in Port Said. And Mustard are winning, right? Then the stadium gets shut down. The police just leave. And then a bunch of people from Hamas stream in. <clears throat> and the people from Hamas are, like, uh, armed. <laughs> and, you know, 200-ish people die. So that's fun. Uh, that gets pinned on the Ultras, and then the Ultras get completely yoked. Uh, pretty much like the ultras ceased to exist at that point. Uh, though some of them linger until 2013-ish, but yeah, they, after that they, they just get completely destroyed. So that's one thorn out. Uh, the Black Bloc then uh, go to war with the army and lose. So that's them gone as well. The Brotherhood had already left uh, in the middle of 2011, like the, around February 2nd they just disappeared. Uh, so they're gone, question mark? They're never really gone. And then in anticipation of new elections, a bunch of new parties come in. So you get the Social Democratic Party, you get the, uh, you know, self, you know, self-descriptive. You get the Republican People's Party and the Homeland Defenders Party, who are two, like, communist parties that spring out of the Communist Party of Egypt, alongside the Socialist Popular Alliance. That's three parties from one party that no one had heard of at that point. <laughs> 
or you know, only a few people. Then you get the two Islamist parties, the Party of Light, uh, or the Noor Party. Google their logo; it's Obama's logo. I can't explain it. <laughs> and the Brotherhood's Freedom and Justice Party. Oh yeah, I've seen that before. You show me that one; it's pretty yes. great. <laughs> so the Brotherhood made the Freedom and Justice Party. Now the liberals, who were part of the April Six Youth Movement, team up with the only Christian oligarch, Nagib Sawiris, who owns Orascom, which does everything. Uh, like construction, transport, whatever. Uh, mining, all that kind of stuff. They team up and they create the Free Egyptians Party. And their platform is liberalism, Christian reparations. That's it. And then the left party come back. They, legally, they never stopped existing. <laughs> but they come back as the new left party, which they had made in the 70s and just didn't do anything with. And their platform is question mark, but something liberal. Uh, also, you know, this is only somewhat related. Uh, the Social Democratic Party was pretty fractious. Right? Like, it, they couldn't agree on how to move forward. Like, whether to be Social Democrats or Democratic Socialists or, you know, just Socialists. Stuff like that. Uh, you also have, you know, Tegamore still there. They're the big Socialist Party. So, elections happen. Uh, the army wants to abdicate all responsibility, so they just, like, have a mini-election to decide who becomes the head of the Electoral Commission, and it becomes a guy from the Muslim Brotherhood, to which the liberals, socialists, and everyone in the country said, oh no. So, uh, surprise, surprise, the Muslim Brotherhood candidate comes first, and wins. Except, except... That's revisionist. So what actually happened? There was a first round. There were candidates from all the parties I mentioned before, plus a bunch of other independents. And the top four are Mohamed Morsi, the uh, Muslim Brotherhood candidate, Ahmad Shafi, you might remember him from being the drunk prime minister, uh, who ran as an independent for some reason, even though the National Democratic Party still technically existed, even though their headquarters had been burned down by that point. <laughs> um, and and third was a guy named Hamdeen Sabahi, who was part of the Nasserist party. These were a party that uh, split off from Tegamor and the Arab Socialist Union, who are like sort of like the IRA of, of socialists, in that they, they have no specific ideology, but they keep splintering <laughs> into what is the true Nasserism. Mm -hmm. And in fourth is a guy named... Adama so what you're saying is that they're actually Trotskyists. They are uh, <laughs> uh, Trotskyist liberals, yes. <laughs> anyway. And then, like, in fourth, there's a guy named uh, Abdelmanam Abu Fatua, who's just some stock Islamist. So here's an issue, right? The top three, the, the top four, are the only ones who have more than 10%. The top three each have, like, around 20% each. So you'd think, you know, the runoff would be top three, right? Uh, the election commission guy is like, hmm, well, the socialist guy, the Nasserist guy, he won Cairo and he won Giza. Those are the two largest governorates. He won Alexandria. That's the third largest. Uh, he also won uh, Port Said, which is the most important one economically. Yeah, he's not going into the third round. So they just say, ah, uh, just top two. So now going to vote, uh, your choice is the drunk prime minister of the Mubarak regime, and uh Islamist guy. So Morsi wins. 
little bit of a conspiracy theory that some people came up with later on is that the army uh, covered up that Shafiq had won, so they wouldn't have an army guy back in power. But honestly, I I don't buy that. It, there's you could justify it, but the second part of that conspiracy theory is that they wanted the Brotherhood to come into power so they could expose how dumb they are. But I don't think the army really knew that for certain. <laughs> Plus the Brotherhood, it was it was an open secret that they had Western backing. So, you know, you, you can't count on the West to lose. Right? Mm-hmm. So Morsi comes in, and I'll be honest, I wanted to give him a chance. A lot of people wanted to give him a chance. He was nominally the first el- elected president, uh, if you ignore that his cousin was running the election, and the election was pretty irregular, and that the Brotherhood were paying people to vote. But, you know, they had patronage networks, so why not use it? So the army just abdicates, Tontawi is quietly removed, and uh, the army slowly starts to broker a deal with uh, with Morsi. Let us have our age limits again, and let us have an elected Supreme Council of the Armed Forces again, but we'll let you okay the, the field marshal. So the system they get is they, they elect... Ahead for each of the five branches of the army will become the Pillars of War, <laughs> which is great. That's the most uh, metal name ever. I love it. <laughs> and then the Pillars of War. Yes. Um. So then, like, you got the five Pillars of War, and then the army at large votes in three vice marshals, and then the president picks one to become the field marshal and one to become the chief of staff. The last one just stays as a vice marshal. Um or becomes Minister of Military Production if they want to. So, great. So the army's back to being, like, sort of proletarianized, right? Like, it, it keeps moving, so it's 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 an institution more than a, an individual thing. So in the first hundred days, the Brotherhood, uh, the Freedom and Justice Party, they do something really ambitious. They say, we're going to hold parliamentary elections, and no matter what happens, we'll form a coalition of the entire Parliament, right? We won't pass any laws on our own, even if we control all the seats. Uh, they renege on this, and then the Parliament is suspended, like within a month. Uh, so then they say, okay, we need a new constitution. So they create the 2012 Constitution. Except it sucks. Uh, they have, like, articles that conflict with each other. They say, okay, you just did a referendum on the new constitution. There's the 2013 amendments to it, which include having Morsi, the president, have legislative powers, because parliament suspended. Uh, it also includes banning women. <laughs> so they added an article that women can't be outside without approval from the police uh, after 8 p.m., but it never says until when. <laughs> so effectively, just banning women. Just banned women. So what you're saying is that they were the original <laughs> incel party. Sort of, yes. Um, so by this point, there, you know, protests are back. Um, things are going very poorly. And Morsi keeps clinging on to two things. One, I was elected to the West backs me, right? Uh, so then a, a small upstart group called Tomorrod, or Rebellion, springs up. Their whole thesis is... You keep saying you've been elected, right? What if we get more signatures on a petition for you to resign than people who voted for you? 
So he holds this long speech, like over 80 hours long, where he says uh, a bunch of unrelated shit and talks about like his friends and, and like some guy in, in his home governorate who is hiring mercenaries. And then at one point he says, if you get 25 million signatures, which is 1 million more than people who voted for me, I will resign. Great. So rebellions started uh, gathering signatures, and they gathered 33 million signatures. So he says, nope, fake. Extremely fake, extremely gay. Go away. If you gather that amount of signatures again, but with ID numbers, like if people actually back you enough to do that, I'll resign. So they do it again, and they gather 36 million signatures with ID numbers. Uh. So... <laughs> mm. Uh... So Morrissey's like, okay, I'm not resigning, though, because this is fake. So in the Freedom and Justice Party do a counter-signature campaign, and they gather a whopping 6,000, of which about 100 are forged. <laughs> uh, and then give up. Wow. <laughs> so, so then um, Morrissey uh, rejigs the army, because he's, he's worried. Right? I've seen this movie before. <laughs> so he, he removes the field marshal, he removes the head of the Constitutional Court, uh, he exiles his pri- his uh, vice president and makes him the ambassador to the Vatican. Uh, that's that's not a joke. <laughs> um, uh, he then <clears throat> he then appoints a new prime minister. You know, like no one is safe. Uh, then he forgets he appointed a new prime minister and keeps the old one. Uh, anyway, so around this point, uh, remember the city of Al that has those cotton gins? It secedes. Like straight up secedes. They they made passports. They made a flag. Uh, they secede as the People's Republic of Mahalla. Uh, if you ever wonder why, uh, Google in Mahalla. Uh, if you go on the Wikipedia page, it shows their gate. It has a giant cog. <laughs> this this was <laughs> the city that created the first trade union. <laughs> no one was surprised. So you have a city that seceded. Uh, he deploys the army, and he appoints a new field marshal. He gets a guy from, like, the military intelligence called Abdel-Fatah Sisi, because he's the only guy in the army who's okay with Islamists. Uh, so the army gets deployed to Mahalla, and they can't do shit. They just surround the city hall, and then they move their cordons so that it's outside city limits instead. And you just de facto have a city-state now. So then Port Said is like, hey, this is dope, and they secede as well. Uh, but then they claim to be the Republic of the Canal, and they invade Ismaili. <laughs> um, they're led by an ex-free officer okay. called Adil Habon, who to this day is still the governor. <laughs> they just never, they never questioned it. Just whatever. <laughs> uh, so you've got two seceding cities, one of which is invading the rest of the country, and at this point. On June 30th, 2013, which is about the anniversary of when Morsi took power, actually, like 365 days later, uh, CC in his capacity as field marshal says, You promised to leave if people got signatures. They did. Now leave. You have 48 hours. To which Morsi responds by holding a three day long speech. I wish that was a joke. I, I tried to watch it at the time and I fell asleep. Is that uh, his move whenever he's in a crisis, just making a yes. speech? Filibuster his way yes. out of crisis? That's so... <laughs> I think so. 
Um, he thinks that he's like a charisma mage, but he's not. He has like a one charisma. He's really bad at speeches. Wait, does he think he's President Mitch McConnell <laughs> of Egypt? Is that what his like idea was? Like, if I can filibuster long enough, I can do whatever I essentially. want. Like, <laughs> so, uh, quick sidebar. Uh, this this will be important later. Somewhere in the southern governorate of Kana, uh, on the same day, June 30th, a guy named Ashraf Rashad, who's head of the uh, regional Social Democratic Party, leaves the party and meets up with the vice president of the Supreme Constitutional Court, Abdul Wahab Abdelrazik, and they form the nation's future party. That'll come up later. So, um, so the two days, the 48 hours pass, he's, he just gave a speech to them all. Uh, and then CC says, okay, time's up. So people go down uh, and start protesting. So CC latches onto it and says, go down and protest. And if he doesn't leave through the protest, I'll remove him. This is the point where he becomes our collective daddy. So, <laughs> um, so protests start. Uh, rebellion, tomorrow, uh, call in the Communist Party, Tegamo. Social Democratic Party, the newly formed Nations Future Party that no one was really aware of at the time, you know, the Homeland Defenders Party, the Republican People's Party, they all stream in, and then even the Free Egyptians Party joins in, and like, for some reason, the Party of Light joins in, even though they're Islamist as well. I guess, you know, they saw the writing on the wall and were like, hey, we're part of this too, don't, don't worry, Islamist and poo-poo. Um, and you've got an estimated 30 to maybe 30 eight thirty six million people on the streets. Pretty impressive number. Uh bear in mind like twenty eleven only had like one and a half million, maybe two million, like five at the most. So it's kind of funny, uh just as a sidebar, that uh Western media calls twenty thirteen a coup and twenty eleven revolution when in twenty eleven uh the army went in after five million people revolted and placed itself in power. Well, in 2013, 30-ish million people revolted, and what happened was, the commandos went in, plucked Morsi out, to the chagrin of the Republican Guard, who fired back, by the way. <laughs> like, kudos to them, they had a mandate and they followed it. They just failed. Um, and they placed the head of the Supreme Constitutional Court, Adli Mansour, as president. And they tasked him with, make a new constitution, because we really need to have a constitution, for fuck's sake. So they start the Constitutional Convention, and they prepare for elections afterward. The Constitutional Convention has a very simple idea. You get 50 people, two from every group, right? A man and a woman from every major group. You've got an Islamist couple, uh, Christian couple, Jewish couple, all that, right? You've got socialists, communists, liberals, even Islamists in there, right? You, everything. And they come up with a constitution... That is compromise-tastic. Uh, it has articles that conflict with each other, like it says that the basis of the economy is labor and production, and then says the basis of the economy is service. Uh, it says Sharia law is the basis of the Constitution, but that it doesn't apply to anyone who doesn't think it should apply to them. Um, it says that uh, the basis of the economy is the public sector, but then says the private sector is guaranteed, but then says that cooperatives are the core of the economy, mm-hmm. and these are three consecutive articles. So that's about the mood of the country. <laughs> um, so then they say, okay, great. 
So in the Constitution, the system has changed. So before we had a president and everything was in the power of the president. Great. That didn't work. <laughs> it, it wasn't great. So the new system is it's all in the hands of Parliament, and it's unicameral, right? It's just the House. Now we have to elect it. So they hold elections for president first. Uh, and no one is really quite sure what the powers of the presidency are under the new constitution. So they, they like, they hold a meeting in the constitutional court and they agree, okay, we'll call it a semi-presidential system, which is what Mubarak called it too, but just don't worry about it. Uh, parliament will do all the legislating. It'll select the prime minister. Everything will be in two-thirds, because it's unicameral. So everything needs a two-thirds vote. I'm sure that will be fine. Uh, and the president has a veto power that does nothing other than send the law back, because it's still two-thirds. The president will be in charge of foreign policy, which, hint, hint, is why you hear so much about him. And he gets the power to do initiatives, which are essentially like executive mm -hmm. orders on steroids. Great. Awesome. Great system. President doesn't matter that much. It's not just one guy anymore. Let's have elections. So CC runs and 400 people run as well. He doesn't pay a single penny for campaign advertisements, and yet his face was everywhere. Because he is army daddy, uwu. He delivered us from Morsi. He is daddy. Uh, on the other hand, a lot of people were very concerned. <laughs> because uh, we've seen this movie before, too. <laughs> mm -hmm. So internally within the army, they start discussing, like, this was declassified later. What if he becomes a dictator, though? Like, he's, he's really popular. What if he wins and becomes a dictator? Uh, they just say, okay, great. Well, if he becomes a dictator, we'll just remove him and rinse repeat. So by this point, mm -hmm. uh, he runs, the main person runs against them is Hamdin Sabahi. Remember him? He came third. Uh, against Morsi, right? Uh, he comes third again, uh, because in CC comes in first with 96.3% of the vote. Uh, invalid votes count for 1.1%, and then Sabahi comes in with 09 <laughs> uh, He's amazing at coming third. So, <laughs> uh, sidebar, he also came third in a mayoral election, and then came third in the election of his own party. Is he cursed? <laughs> He's amazing. Yes, his party is the third largest Nasser's party. <laughs> um, third largest Nasser's yes. party. Wow. Um, so, CC comes in, first thing he does is he sees all these riots by Islamists who are against uh, the, the, what they perceive as a coup. And he orders the police to go in and just yeet. Right? He's a guy from military intelligence. He only speaks two languages, and they are power and power. So he tells them to eat them. What happens is... Uh, so they're holed up. It's about like maybe 80,000, 90,000 people at most. Like It's probably quite a bit less. Um, hold up in a tiny intersection, not even a square, by a historic mosque. So the police come in, so they go into the mosque which uh, leads the police to find that they had a stage set up with a bunch of bodies, dead bodies, some of them children, because they got into issues with the locals, which immediately makes the police start uh, asking for live rounds. They don't get live rounds, because they're like, no, no, bad, bad, bad. 
we we are democratic now. Mm-hmm. Uh, use tear gas and batons and stun batons, and also flechettes that are probably lethal. Democracy. Uh, so they use tear gas, and um, the tear gas gets stuck in the mosque, and a bunch of people die because it's a gas chamber. Well, this went poorly. Uh, so immediately that that sparks, you know, something of a counter-revolution from the Islamists, and it spawns, like, Western media going, ah, but this is actually a counter-revolution by the army, and tomorrow they're actually astroturf. Aha, I am very smart. Uh, but really, like, mm-hmm. Sisi wasn't a fan of tomorrow either. Uh, and he tries to ban protest, to which the Constitutional Court says, hold your horses, wait till there's a, wait till there's a parliament first. <laughs> So they hold parliamentary elections. So there are 596 seats. And the way it's elected is two-thirds are elected individually and one-third by uh, list ballot. And they hold the elections using single transferable vote. Uh, The final results are the largest party, the Free Egyptians Party, with 65. The Nation's Future Party, the New Kids on the Block, with 53. Uh, The next largest parties are webbed. Homeland Defenders and Republican People's Party, uh, and uh, there are uh, 370 independents. So remember how everything needs two thirds? <laughs> uh, so immediately negotiations start like, how the fuck do we run the country? So the Free Egyptians say, okay, we're the largest party. Let's make it so that the Parliament Charter says that the largest party gets first dibs. And then any party that joins them in the coalition in a leading role uh, loses its dibs, right? So they form a coalition with the left party. And they say, this is the liberal coalition. This is the National Salvation Front. The Support Egypt Coalition. Let's do it. Fun fact, there have been three Support Egypt Coalitions. None of them are similar. <laughs> Patriotism! So they um, they formed the neoliberal coalition. And the first thing they do is they tell CC, no, bonk, bonk, no banning protest. Uh, to which he says, but I am president. <laughs> I have power. Which then leads to a bit of a compromise. So by this point, the three largest entities in the country were the bureaucracy, because they're how you actually govern the army, because they have guns and they have money and they have factories. And the banks, because they have money. So they all meet together, the Federation of Banks, the Supreme Council of Armed Forces, and the President and the new Interim Prime Minister. And then they meet together with Parliament, and they hash out a deal. No one will try to break the Constitution anymore, because by about six months into the 2015 Parliament, the Constitution had been breached like every other day. So they come to a deal. No more breach of the Constitution, it's word as law, but we'll give you until 2018 to start actually applying it. Right? Like, all the stuff on due process, that'll apply now. The stuff like, uh, you know, decommodifying housing and making it free, making food a right, all that kind of stuff, that can wait. Okay. Great. So Parliament says, awesome, time for austerity. Uh, this obviously goes down... Um, poorly. Uh, in 2016, they float the currency, and it nosedives. Uh, the IMF puts in a structural adjustment program. They eat all the subsidies, including food subsidies. Hey, I've seen this before. 
which Morsi had brought back because, you know, 2011 started because of that. So, yeah, kind of a smart idea to just bring them back. Uh, except by this point, uh, food subsidies were for bread that uh, was not fit for human consumption. Uh, the meme at the time was that bread was 90% glass, 10% stones, <laughs> which wasn't unfair. So, fast forward through this, in 2017, the New Liberal Coalition utterly destroys itself, because they try to reform healthcare to no longer make it free, and all the other parties say, no, I enjoy not being tar and feathered. Uh, and, hey, according to the charter, the next party up, the nation's future party. Who the fuck are they, though? So, uh, at this point, 2017... The, the, uh, VP of the, uh, Constitutional Court, Abdul it he stops being head of the party. And this 30-ish year old guy named Ashraf Rashad that I mentioned before becomes party leader. Okay, who the fuck is this guy? People automatically assume that he's part of, like, the, uh, like, the police or something. Or that he's some kind of astroturf guy. When in fact he's much worse. He's an opportunist. Uh, he proclaims that the party is social democratic, but that it is also patriotic, that he wants to make Egypt great again, blah blah blah. Uh, they keep the prime minister that the liberal coalition had brought in, Shufa Ismail, because they don't have the votes to replace him, and they make a new healthcare bill that makes a new healthcare system that will come into effect starting 2019. Great. But for now, healthcare still sucks, so they start doing widespread reforms they don't go far enough. So in 2018, they lose a vote of confidence, uh, the Prime Minister is completely gone, and they bring in the Minister of Housing, who was a sort of um, compromise guy they brought in when, when the Sokdoms took over. And this guy, Medbuli, he's from the Homeland Defenders Party. So alarm bells start ringing in liberals' heads, like, we were in power two years ago, and now there's a fucking communist Prime Minister, what do we do? So they try to join the coalition, it backfires horribly, the Free Egyptians party collapses, and most of them join the nation's future party. So now it's a big tent between neoliberals, liberals, Slok Dems, and some socialists, but now they have communists in their coalition. And the economy just starts growing rapidly. <laughs> because they, they remove austerity, they start saying, okay, you know what, let's go into debt. Um, then they have the army repay a lot of their debt, because the army has money and no one knows where the fuck it gets its money anymore. <laughs> it has factories and shit. Uh, and also it has those dollars that come in every year. And now the debt is mostly gone, the foreign debt, it's like manageable, it's like $40 billion or something, which is nothing for a country our size. Great. So now housing is getting cheaper, wages are going up. All that's awesome. But we need more reform. So they bring back welfare, like Nasser era welfare. They create a basic income for the poor, and then they enroll 14 million people into it. They create social housing in every city. They make food uh, free for anyone on ration cards, and they give those ration cards to 81 million people <laughs> out of, at the time, 90 million. Um... Like, they, they then say, okay, we, we need to build new cities, because we, we have too many people. We need to move people from slums to actual housing. Mm -hmm. 
we need to overhaul transit because our buses are old. Uh, we need to make our trains no longer suck. A train station fire starts, which leads to the min uh, Minister of Transportation getting yoked and whole rail overhaul and all that. There's energy overhaul to bring in renewables, uh, environmental standards, all that. All this happens really quickly. Like three years. And then in 2018, there's an issue. So the Constitution has issues, right? Uh, they also have a request from the army. They want to add to the Constitution quotas for Parliament. There's already quotas of like a third of it has to be workers, a third of it has to be farmers, and that's a... They want to add a quarter of it has to be women at least, and at least 5% of it have to be disabled people and um, uh, people with mental illnesses. Right, like they want to enhance the democracy, but they also want the army to have the ability to constitutionally coup the government. Because they don't want that shit that happened with the neoliberal coalition to happen again. Uh, this is also sort of a warning for CZ. They want to uh, turkey yes, it. Essentially. <laughs> um, so they, they draft constitutional amendments, and they have a whole bunch of compromises, including creating a senate. So that later on, constitutional amendments have to go through a Senate. They give the Senate no other powers. <laughs> it's very sad. Um, among those amendments are the ones that the news focuses on everywhere, like including here. Canceling CeCe's first term. It's not including it anymore. And counting his first term as the one he won in 2018 but then making his term six years, not four. To spare you the math, so before he would have, he, he won in 2014 and 2018. In 2018 he ran against like a guy who voted for him, so like it, no one wanted to run against him because the powers of the presidency were limited and you're running against Army Daddy Uwu, and it was a second and final term anyway, so whatever. Uh, but then it wasn't his final term because of these amendments. So instead of being 2014, for four years to 2018, and then leaving in 2022, we act as if 2014 to 2018 didn't happen. Mm -hmm. as, as, as it was like a transition period. And then 2018, that term ends in 2024, and he can run for one more that'll take him to 2030. Now you might wonder, oh, what democratic country has a leader for 16 years? That's like a, almost as long as Merkel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no! Yeah, it's that's... That's so horrifying. They add, um, so they, they add other party <laughs> amendments that this can never happen again. <laughs> One-time thing, don't get any ideas. Like, the presidential term can no longer go above six years. And you can't count anything as transitional. The transition is over. Okay, great. I'll play nice. Mm -hmm. So then elections happen in 2020, 2021. The Senate elections happen, and the nation's future party wins 149 of 300 seats. Because they are the only party list running. And uh, one third of it was party list, another third was appointed, and another third was individual. They won the party list with 12 other parties, including the Homeland Defenders Party, and the Republican People's Party, and Tagamo, Social Democratic Party, all those. But also, loved. And some liberal parties like Conference and Justice and Generations Will. Just, you know, aesthetic. So, mm -hmm. then the House elections happen, and that's when shit gets real. You have, like, actual independents running, and they say, this time, 
it'll be first past the post with quotas. So you have to get 50% plus one to get the seat. And there are runoffs. Um, and half of it will be party list, half of it will be individual, and then there will be 28 MPs appointed by the president, because why not? He gets to appoint people to fill out their quotas. And uh, fun fact, he could have given the nation's future party a majority with his appointees, but instead he appointed 28 independents. <laughs> uh, he also appointed the second oldest member, hmm. the youngest member, uh, two football players, or sorry, three football players, and an Islamist. <laughs> he is a troll. <laughs> um, so the House comes in, the Nation's Future Party wins 316 seats, actually 317 because their vice president runs an independent for some reason, um, and they, they look to be the party in waiting. But you need two-thirds, and they can't form a coalition because nobody likes them. <laughs> uh, so instead they work with mm -hmm. the left because the left has most of the other seats. Uh, by this point, the liberal parties are pretty mad. The communist party is also mad because their head lost his election in individual races. So the Republican People's Party and Homeland Defenders Party leave the Communist Party, and the Republican People's Party now calls itself the center of the left, but not center left. They're weird. Uh, cool. Whereas the Homeland Defenders Party now call themselves the populist mm -hmm. left and uh, the pro-army left. So, the everyone's everyone's jostling to show how how they're like left, but not like left left, but left. Pretty you much, you know, like we're we're not like right, and we're not center, but we're we're left, but we're not like like leftist left, like we're not like the left. Ooh, you know? woo. we're not like the um, other girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So by this point, they start doing you know a lot of a lot more reforms. Um, Parliament gets very fun, people start fighting. <laughs> um, but also a bunch of the independents are really high profile. Like there's a guy who who won the most votes of any individual candidate, uh, Ahmed Shishini. He's, uh, he was a janitor at a youth center in Behera, and he ran as a, as a communist for his area and just like gathered uh, fundraisers and was the only independent uh, other than the uh, NFP vice president, who spent to the limit, to the campaign spending limit. He he had no money to his name. Oh, right? wow. So yeah, he, he's pretty, like, the people of Behera have a YouTube channel where they just, like, simp for him. It's great. Um, so you've got him, you've got Frida Shubeshi, who's like a major journalist, who for a little bit was the um, interim speaker, the first female speaker we had. Which is quite nice. Uh, she also just recovered from COVID, so nice. Uh, she she's like a major independent communist as well, so you've got a lot of voices in there. Uh, you've also got the successors to the uh, National Democratic Party. Uh, they're they're a form of development party who have the name Sadat written in their logo on top of a leaf in the shape of a factory. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they, they don't have that many seats. Mm. Uh, the left are the largest of the liberal parties and of the right, generally, but they don't have a real platform still. Uh, so, the right just... So what you're saying is the reason exist. why... 
why they don't have more seats is because they don't have Khrushchev in their lo- in their logo. Unfortunately, yes. Um, so this is when the fun starts, right? Around 2020, 2021 is when the fun starts. COVID didn't do much to Egypt because most of our tax base is corporate tax. So as long as you could still still keep people spending online, almost everything is delivered here anyway. Um, as long as you can keep people spending, the economy will keep taking over. So the economy grew, <laughs> which yeah. Mm-hmm. Then, which, uh, we at Chop Shop, we've been talking about the economy in the world for a long time, and uh, especially in the United States and. The rest, much of the rest of the world's economy was having a fucking time where Egypt has just been going Zoom. They yeah, have been Zooming. Uh, money printer go burr. So, the, so because the economy was booming, they started intensifying foreign policy. So for a while they'd been trying to get closer to Africa and the rest mm-hmm. of the Arab world. But it was still from a position of like, hey, we like y'all, we can help you, we have experts, we have doctors, give us money. Whereas now it's, hey, we can give you money. And we just built like 80 new cities, we have excavators, can you take our excavators? We really didn't expect that we'd need to get rid of these excavators. Uh, does anyone want 10,000 bulldozers? So, yes? So they start... Yes? Uh- that we can arrange that. So, so they start imperialism. So the first thing they do around like 2020 is they invade Libya under the under Parliament's mandate of you have one month to bring democracy to Libya, and it works. 29 days and the fighting stops, and now Libya has a unified government, which is it. Um, how do I put this? It emboldened them. So then they start pushing for more democracy in Sudan. They had backed the protesters in 2019 and placed, like, a puppet government. And then they forced it to reform and all that. And now they they just got Palestine Mm -hmm. to agree to hold elections where Egypt counts the ballots. So look forward to the nation's future party becoming the head of the Palestinian Authority. (laughs) Um, Stuff like that. But the major thing is the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. So this was CC's baby in terms of foreign policy, because it allows Egypt to imperialize everyone in Africa while acting as everyone's bank. Um, you may hear in newspaper articles about Africa, the African Export-Import Bank. This was set up by, this was a, like Nasser's brainchild, but was set up later in the 80s, I think maybe like 70s, 80s, that kind of era, basically to facilitate creating development in Africa so that they can export more. And now it's essentially another government bank. Um, it's it's sort of analogous to China's development bank. So you've got all this going on. You've got a bunch mm-hmm. of immigration coming in. They've opened borders with Sudan. They're trying to open borders with Libya. They've opened it for workers, but only Egyptians so far. Stuff like that. Uh, they also added a visa for, <laughs> for Saudis specifically, which was really nice. <laughs> but... You've got all this imperialism going on, but cloaking all of this is that Egypt is an ally of the EU and the US and China all at once, and is providing North Korea's internet, which, while cooperating with South Korea, while being an ally of Japan, so just big brain foreign policy. 
the way I describe our foreign policy is that we are the mistress, right? Uh, how, how do I explain this? So, a few days ago, the UN condemned our human rights violations, um, which were mostly fabricated or just like bullshit. Like, uh, you have 20 jailed journalists, of which 10 are actually accused of being spies, and of which 5 were jailed for under one year because they did stupid shit like break into prisons. Uh, you know, just Darwin Award tier mm-hmm. shit. Um, stuff like that. But then a few days later, they issued an apology and said, "Ah, no, Egypt's human rights—they're doing great. They're improving. They're—they're they're very transparent." Uh, also, in between those, there were military exercises with the U.S. and France, uh, along with heightened cooperation with the EU. So, we're the mistress, right? We we get the good dick, but we also get slapped mm-hmm. in public. So. The thing I find interesting is that internally. The Republic of Egypt has said that they're the close that they're closer to the People's Republic of China than they are to the United States. Yes, that's because China actually gives a shit. Uh, for example, China owns a third of the new capital's holding company, uh, and they paid for the entire capital. They don't own any of it; like they just own the holding company, so they can get profits from land sales. Uh, but like, just, hey, free city. <laughs> uh, they also help with development projects in Africa, so why not? Imperialism, nice, but it's somewhat mutually beneficial, even nicer. Meanwhile, the U.S. just says, hey, do you want a battleship? I can't feed my people battleships. Uh... <laughs> I could house them. <laughs> them. Yeah. Um, so, based on all of this, CC uh, then decided he was going to sort of half-breach the Constitution. And he referred to the army as a separate entity, being the first president to do so. And then in the, on the same day said, when the capital opens, we will proclaim a second republic. Divorcing Egypt from like the, the whole past that just happened. Part of this is sort of him angling to be like the George Washington of the country. Like, you look back and you think, damn, he, he, he was popular. No, those election results are sus. But then, you know, he left. So, so if he does leave, he'll have secured himself a, a place in, in our history, for sure. Even though everyone hates him. <laughs> uh, though that's a lie. Like, he's, he's pretty popular. Mm-hmm. But I can't stand him. He's slimy as shit. Um, but I can't deny he's good at PR. Uh, like, one of the things he did, just an example, uh, as soon as he came into power, he said, oh, I grew up in a Christian area, so I'm going to guarantee Christian reparations, and worked with the parliament to do that. Uh, in 2018, he made a treaty to give reparations to the Bedouins, and cede all the, all the land to them, uh, allowing them to make money off the rents. Uh, he rehoused the Nubians and brokered Nubian Treaty in 2019, to give them control over Aswan, the governorate, and appoint only Nubian governors from then on, stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? He's really good at that kind of PR stuff. Uh, like in the lead up to the healthcare, to the healthcare act, he announced a 
a campaign to to screen all hundred million people in the country, refugees and all, for for hepatitis C and give them like treatment for free if if they have it, stuff like that. And then the same for women with breast cancer and then for old men with prostate cancer. He's he's really good at plastering his face on mm-hmm. things, even when he doesn't have the power to do so, like the, the 100 million healthy lives initiative thing. It's dubious as to whether he has the power to, but who's going to stop him? Like, ah, yes, I am pro Hep C, <laughs> and that's that's where most of his power comes yeah. from. Yeah, he's really good at, at forcing you into a corner. Like, uh, just recently, he he can't amend the budget, but he took the 2021-2022 budget and he added handwritten amendments. Uh, Mr. President, you can't do that. Oh, one of my amendments is to raise minimum wage and raise pensions 13%. Are you anti-pension? I see. Fine. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's that kind of... He's that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. I mean... I gotta give it to Cece. He is a brilliant politician. I mean, his, in terms of like a lot the imperialist policies that have been emerging out of the Republic of Egypt, I'm not a fan of it so much. But like, he has a lot of skill, and it's you know he's gonna like be, you know he manages to find these gaps of opportunities and just you know, you know seizes them as tightly as possible and you know pushes as hard as possible in order to try to like forward his own goals. He's very clever. Although, <laughs> although he's not infallible, like he, he's had oh, a few no, not at all. misses. Um, one of them was when uh, this was like a major thing when building one of the new cities. Uh, his son is a contractor, right? He's always been a contractor, even before the revolutions happened. Um, his son won the contract for building the sewage system in one of the new cities, which was extremely sus. Uh, the The official line is that he just won the contract and it, you know, there wasn't any preferential treatment. But legally, legally, if uh, if there might be nepotism involved, there has to be an investigation done, and people have to recuse themselves, right? Like, if his firm wins, he, he can't get profits from it. That kind of thing. Uh, he didn't do that. <laughs> uh, which meant that his company uh, got investigated and taken off the, the new city. Uh, which CC replied with, Ah, yes, the mechanisms of justice. I'm totally not angry. This went exactly as planned. Uh, Completely legal. I'm speaking... Nothing strange here. (laughs) Oh my god. Yes. Speaking of contractors, can we talk about the the contradictions within Egypt's contractors, specifically how racialized the the workers in the contractors are? Yes, so... The 2014 Constitution has a lot of really intense workers' rights, right? Like things that would make American liberals scream. Uh, for example, every company, the board has to be 50% plus one workers. Uh, workers own 50% plus one of the shares. Like any company on the stock market, you're only looking at just under half the shares. 
Um, like you can buy controlling stakes, but the workers own them afterward. Like you give it to the union. Uh, also, everyone's just in a union, right? Like I'm in three unions right now, <laughs> and I'm unemployed. I'm in school. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so like that kind of thing. That's the kind of like work culture we've got. There's also like you know minimum wage. The so minimum wage is is a calculation. Like it's a function based on uh, what is the minimum wage to live in the most expensive city, which is Cairo, obviously. Take that times two. That's minimum wage. Round up. Just 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 add a little bit. Uh, add like utilities and all that. So that's around twenty four hundred for the public sector. There used to be, like, it used to go down to 2,000 in some places, like in rural areas, but CC removed that because, you know, why not? Um, even though he doesn't have the power to legislate, but, yeah, who's going to stop him from raising the minimum wage? Uh, but in the private sector, it can go down to 1,600, though they're thinking of raising it to 2,000 soon. But this only applies to Egyptians. With anyone else, they can just do whatever they want, because uh, um, non-Egyptians can't enter unions. So, uh, curiously, uh, almost all of our contractors are Chadian or Central African or Sudanese. I'm sure this is coincidental. Um, and all of this, all of this is hidden behind the veneer of like we are poor country, uh, dictatorship, very sad, uh, just to hide all this. I think this is one of the things that really that really frustrates me with how like a number of people in the West will approach um, understanding Egypt, where they will trust like the Guardian and Al Jazeera completely, and like all of like the chaff that's like thrown up in the air of propaganda, and that you know when you have like all these like fake problems that are talked about, the real problems get ignored, and like this is a major thing that has happened is like. Because you have all this chaff in the air, you have this real problem of this racialized, like, undercast of immigrant workers who are, like, the primary workforce of the, co- of, like, the contractors in Egypt. Talking about exactly like, like it, that kind of material condition and issue fundamentally at the heart of the country, it wouldn't be the way it is. Like, it's not just chaff, it's not just malicious yeah. chaff because they like don't want you to understand something like Egypt and its success, it's because they themselves don't understand Egypt and its success. I think that's oh, 100%. part of it, but also the state doesn't mind. Like, they, they, they performatively dislike Al Jazeera, right? But it's really convenient, right? Like, anything you say, ah, Al Jazeera, right? Any, any issue, ah, Al Jazeera, for example, uh, there was a personal status law that was being pushed through. The original draft from the cabinet to the parliament was really good, right? Like, it, it gave women far more rights. Uh, like, for example, it, it removed a lot of Sadat era bullshit, like, um, like it guaranteed women an equal right to serve in, as judges, uh, which was already done by executive order, because again, CC can't do that, but who's gonna stop him? Are you sexist? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, so the, there was that, it was, there's going to be a recognition of minority religions, finally, 
Uh, they were going to remove all mentions of Sharia from from the law that so that had added to to uh, to quell opposition from the Islamists. All that stuff. Great. Sounds awesome. It went to Parliament. Uh, the Party of Light has a whopping seven MPs, but there is a filibuster in committee, and they filibustered the fuck out of it and said, if you don't allow us to amend Sharia law back in, we won't let this pass. So they, they compromised and said, fine, we'll send it to Al-Azhar. Al-Azhar is basically the Islamic Vatican. Uh, it's legally not part of the country either, which is fun. So it went to them, and they amended it and added shit like women can't leave the house without men's permission, uh, and they can't get divorced anymore. And like, what? <laughs> um, so now the Constitutional Court just struck that down immediately, said it'll hear the the merits of the case on on May 9th, but that either way, Elazar does not have legislative powers, and you can't legislate based on Sharia law. All of that led to a huge controversy to which the state replied with, ah, if you oppose legislation, that's Al Jazeera. Propaganda. You're, you're just trying to bring the state down. Which is convenient, because Al Jazeera was like, ah, the personal status law has already passed. Egyptian women are now illegal. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. Like When, when, you, when mm. you remove all nuance from it, you allow them to debunk the most absurd version of events. So they don't have to, they don't have to deal with the actual issue at hand. Basically, it's at the interest of the Egyptian state to just allow yeah. foreigners yeah, that makes sense. to presume whatever they wish, because, well, debunking them is an easy win. Exactly. Like it, it it's really easy when Al Jazeera goes, ah, oh, there's a protest on street, whatever, and then they just cut the CCTV cameras of it. And there's nothing there. And you just dunk on them and be like, ha ha, so funny. Rather than, you know, address why they, they thought that one was happening, or why they, they had plausible cause to think one was happening. And it, removing all nuance really helps <laughs> with that. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, that was uh that was a pretty in-depth overview of the politics of Egypt. Um we're like one of the things that like I think is important to be pointed out is like how much of since 2011 has been like parliamentarian maneuvering, you know? Um, and wrangling with the judiciary. Uh, these are, like, not the kind of problems that it's, a military dictatorship has, you know? It's um, not the kind of thing that the West, with how it reports on literally anything outside of Europe and North America and Australia, would care to apply any nuance to. But you see, though, if they were to report on it with nuance to get out of their ideal idealist worldview, then it would stain the pure souls of their silicon. You don't want to stain the soul of the West, um, do you, can Phil? Can we just get rid of the Western soul? I think that'd be better for everyone. <laughs> I, I do support this. We should get rid of the Western soul. 
<laughs> I do have to say, though... Yeah, that sounds pretty bad. I do have to say, though, as like a final remark. I would really prefer if it was a military dictatorship at this point. Because having having to explain all this and thus be labeled a CC stan or something, it's pain. It is pain. <laughs> it's, and it's so just much like, easier to just, just be in the opposition. And I think it's the thing that, like, that, you know, <laughs> kind of, like, re- this is one of the big failings in just how so many people do analysis nowadays. Not you or us on the podcast, but a lot of just, like, you know, the brain worms on Twitter and Facebook and, like, other parts of social media is it's just, like, there's this an- very, very moralistic analysis of being, like, oh, this is, I- this thing, this thing, or this person, or this country is either good or evil. There's no in-between. There's no nuance. There's no room for complexity. And that's, it frustrates me, because if you don't acknowledge the complexity, like, if you don't acknowledge that there are good parts of something, of a country, of a person, whatever, then... Like, you're, then, like, you know, by extension, you're going to have a very hard time acknowledging the real problems. And if you can't acknowledge the real problems, you can't do anything about them. On the other hand, it is very useful from the perspective of Mm -hmm. the West to be able to easily pivot to having various different enemies in an attempt to replace, basically, any successful patronage networks or domestic policy by simply focusing on foreign enemies and foreign evils that can be fought without need to criticize the existence that you have presently. It's also less emotionally exhausting on the part of yourself and your audience to simplify. Nuance is tiring, but going Egypt bad, Egypt military dictatorship is easy and profitable even. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Because, like, there's little that the, like, this is, there's little that the U.S. gains by uh, praising someone that's already in their pocket, like Egypt, you know? Yeah, and it's, Um, it's, it's not even, like, having to be in their pocket, it's just that we're not a threat. Yeah, yeah, there's no, there's no threat, and... Like, there's no, like, there's little chance that Egypt is going to, like, cut ties with the U.S. and, like, open up a giant uh, PLAN base in Port Said, you know? So they're not, like, trying to woo Egypt. So having a baseline of very negative press allows them to switch gears if they do need to start getting like Egypt on their side you know it allows them to be all like our allies in Egypt after their democratic revolution you know um they can do that at any point it gives them a uh carrot to wag to be fair that is a very useful thing an element that American foreign policy has traditionally kind of used Especially, like, here, it was kind of noted how America was doing that earlier in Egypt's history, but I think, on some level, America has kind of forgotten how to do that, actually. Like, just look at how they completely fussed up Anchorage recently. I don't think the United States knows how to pivot that kind of internal domestic propaganda complex anymore. 
on some level. That's that's fair too. That is fair. There's like I'm I am kind of providing a explanation for why this kind of thing is the baseline, but I'm not sure if they're like in control of the rudder anymore. Yeah. For this no, kind of thing. It's kind it's of like a self perpetuating issue. I think the issue point. this is always how the United States has dealt with like foreign groups outside of the Western sphere. So of course they would do it again even though they've kind of forgotten the purpose of the ritual. Wait, 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 yeah, are exactly. you telling me the United States has become yes. the Adeptus Mechanicus? Actually, no, I'm sorry. The Adeptus Mechanicus can actually still innovate. <laughs> yeah, they can actually, like, still do things. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, thank you, Vil, and thank you, Ahmed, for coming on to our beautiful, beautiful show with beautiful, beautiful yeah, guests. Yeah, it was wonderful to have, like, you here, Ahmed. Um, you know, I'm very happy, like, that, like, you know, Vil was able to be a guest co-host at the last minute, and, um... The personal little thing I'm going to plug here is that I really, really want, like, the original personal status bill to be passed. Like, that would be help. I mean, I'm a Sephardi Jew, and that the original one, if that version, if that were to be passed in Egypt, that would help Egyptian Jews so fucking much. Like, like oh, this is, this is like, Egypt is the diasporic homeland for Egyptian Jews. And... Like, strengthening the position for Jews in Egypt is essential in my mind. Absolutely. And you know what also is essential? Smashing that motherfucking subscribe button on Patreon. We don't have a like button, uh, but press it anyways. <laughs> my, my plug is us. Uh, go on to Patreon, Chop Shop economics fucking give us those five dollars we'll have more cool guests more cool interviews and you get access to exclusive content um thank you all so much uh we've been real happy to have everyone on tonight and uh we read this shit so you don't have to or i guess we interview these people because you can't. <laughs> so you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this was a wonderful show. It was great to have you on, Ahmed. And, um, yeah, I, I hope that mm. one day you can get out of the cursed place that is known as uh, Giza. <laughs> Hopefully. Also, yeah. If... I hope you make it over that river, buddy. Final remark. <laughs> If uh, if by some weird twist of fate the West starts to pivot toward Egypt again for just long enough to give CC a peace prize for bringing democracy to three different foreign countries, I will die. So that already got one. I hate this. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <sighs> Anyhow, this is HQ okay. signing off. Um, you know, like. 
Solidarity forever, and I love you all clowns. Good night. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs>